It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along. We'll be here until four o'clock. And Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right at four o'clock for an hour. And uh, it's great to have you along. The show will be a little bit different today than the one that I had planned or the one that really we've done most of the time we get together here on Saturdays. Ava's on the board. Christian taking your calls. Kevin supervising 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So in the short history of the State of Israel, the years 1948, 1967, 1973, and now 2023 will stand out. Not because there haven't been armed conflicts, not that there haven't been even wars like there were in 2014. But this is a day that will resonate in the minds of Israeli citizens for decades and generations, kind of like 9-11 does for us. There is war being raged right now of the most savage sort. 2,500-some-odd rockets have come out of Gaza. Children have been taken hostage. Terrorists have gone house-to-house in some parts of southern Israel. And so we're going to spend a fair amount of the program today talking about that, We'll be taking your calls. We're going to particularly keep some lines open for anyone who wants to call us from Eretz Israel, from Israel, who wants to give us some insight into what's going on there. This is the holiday of Simchas Torah. This is the holiday that Jews celebrate the ending of the reading of the Torah and start again fresh. It is a cycle of great joy and great great pleasure. In fact, I think it's one of the only days you're supposed to go out and get drunk. And it is a day now of pain and loss and grieving. And I just do want to want to say, you know, when I was in Washington and I served in Congress, many of you realize, from 1999 to 2011, before that I was in the city council. And when I was in Congress as a member representing New York and as a, a Jewish member, there was always a lot of work going on behind the scenes on educating people on what goes on in the Middle East. And there is there are a lot of good reasons why, of all of the issues in Washington, there is perhaps none that unifies right and left, Democrat and Republican, more than support for Israel. And people support for different reasons. Sometimes people see it as an icon of democracy in a part of the world that doesn't have democracies. Some people see it from a religious perspective, even if they're not Jewish. There are many... There are many Christians um, who believe very strongly in the state of Israel for their religious reasons. There are many hawks who believe in Israel because of the support that they provide for us in the Middle East as really our only ally in a very contentious part of the world, as a hedge 
against places, um, against some really bad players in that part of the world. In the same vein, some people are big supporters of Israel because they know that the way our intelligence agencies and the Mossad and the Israeli Defense Forces work together, that we have saved many, many lives, untold number of terrorist attacks that have been thwarted because of our friendship with Israel. And as a result, particularly here in New York City, you have got people who who go back and forth, people who have relatives in Israel, people who make aliyah, who who go back and live up to the aspirations of Israel, being a place that Jews can always return to. And that's the final reason why a lot of people left and right support Israel, that after World War II, when we all said as a world community, never again, we came to realize that there has never been a place like Israel where Jews were safe. So on a day like today, there are messages coming in from people on all sides of the political spectrum. And if people do want to have a conversation today about it's Joe Biden's fault, it's Donald Trump's fault, I'll hold a little space for that. But I think that much more importantly is we have a little bit of a conversation here about some of the history. You know, some people might say, you know, this is what happens when you have Palestinians under occupation, as they would say. Well, I want to remind all of you within the sound of my voice that Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza in 2005. After people said again and again, if only these people were free from Israeli control, then everyone could live happily side by side. But the Palestinians have never been a true humanitarian cause for the Arab states around there. They have been basically a surrogate army against the Israelis. They've been used. You might want to say to yourself, well, when people say, well, the Palestinians, they're refugees, refugees from who? Gaza used to be Jordan. The Jordans can have it, the Jordanians can have it back whenever they want. Believe me, the Israelis would like nothing more. Another thing for people to keep an eye on and to realize is that it's very easy to kind of say, oh, well, something happened yesterday and that led to this today. Since 1948, when Israel was created, she has been at war with 20 of her neighbors, not because she declared war on anyone, but because 20 Arab states in that part of the world, all of them now except for Egypt, declared war on her. The Saudis... The Egyptians, the Egyptians, after they, I mean, they're the one that's no longer at war because of the Camp David Accords. But that is, as they say, a dangerous neighborhood. And the story of the Middle East, I guess it depends on where you start it. Everyone can say their history. Well, last week something happened and monies were released to Iran. Well, what about the meetings that happened in April? were the Saudis, who have never been too crazy about Hamas, but they were their, their, their Sunni lancemen, said they're going to do more to support Hamas. So when Israel leaves Gaza in 2005, everyone who believed that it was the Israeli occupation that was the source of the problem just sat back and watched as the Israel, as the Palestinian people in, 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 in Gaza chose Hamas as their representatives and said, we don't want the Palestinian Authority, we want Hamas. And so then Gaza, after Israel left, became a launching pad for terrorist attacks. 
And so here we are. It's been one continuous, remember, 1967. The Israelis were about to be attacked, and they preempted it. 1973, they were attacked in a, in a an attack very similar to this. But the difference between 1973 and today, I get that it's the 50th anniversary, and I get that it's an attack. But unlike then, when the attack was in the north, in the Sinai Peninsula, in the Golan, that had very few people, there are towns and villages that are within meters and miles from the border with Gaza, places like Sudot. The roads. And the idea that this incursion happened is going to raise a lot of questions within Israel. How this was allowed to happen. What kind of intelligence failure this was. And people say, well, it's kind of like 1973. You know what? I think it's much more similar to the kind of hand-to-hand combat that was necessary to secure Israel's independence in 1948. And so now the nations of the world are are taking sides. You've got, obviously, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all lining up to say this is Israel's fault. You've got Russia on the side of the terrorists. And now we have hostages been taken. So what does it mean? What happens next? It's anyone's guess. I know people know Bibi Netanyahu as a conservative kind of firebrand, but he has been fairly conservative in some regards in the use of military force. So if you think that, okay, Israel's now going to march into Gaza, hmm, let's see. Remember, there are now hostages in Gaza. I've been seeing some tweets from people who have tracked phones of some of the hostages They are now in Gaza. And you may see some people on TV like doing this both sides-ism or calling it a conflict or commentary where people say, well, there's this and then there's that. No, this, this, what is going on in that part of the world is a country trying to survive, a country the size of New Jersey, trying to survive despite a declared state of war with her ever since her birth in 1948. 1967, I've seen condemnations from both sides of the aisle, members of Congress. But then, look, I'm I'm not going to say that there's unanimity in support of Israel in Congress or in the American people. But it's in the 80s, 70s, the 80s. And I want to caution you about one other thing. There are many people at stake here. There are many people who are playing this game like chess. You've got the Iranians who, while they don't have as much influence over Hamas as they do over Hezbollah, might be behind some troublemaking here. You've got the Saudis who are in talks with the Israelis about normalizing relations 
and it could be that the Hamas said, well, that's not good for us. They decided to do this now. I don't know. But now there are lives that have been lost, hostages that have been taken, including children. So don't don't listen to the both sides-ism here, you know. And let me make one other point about about war. War is bad, right? War is ugly. But the way the Israelis practice war is they they have they fire into Gaza from time to time. 2014 they had to go back into Gaza. Because Gaza is used as a launching pad by Hamas that lobs weapons, lobs armaments at civilian populations. The Israelis do things like drop leaflets at places that they're going to target a, 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 a terrorist stronghold or a, a cache of weapons. And they try to, to take out weapons depots and communications. They do, they operate as if they're engaged in a, in a war of survival, not in a game of terrorism. It's very, very different. And this is the kind of, you know, the kind of question of what the Saudis are bad players. The Iranians are bad players. And if you're someone out there, so I feel bad for the Palestinians. I don't, I don't blame you. The Palestinians have been used as pawns by the Arab states for generation and generations. Think about it. If the Saudis, with all of their wealth, wanted to go in and help build up the Gaza Strip from the dump that it is, you don't think they could have? They didn't want to. They'd much rather play, pay homicide bombers getting onto buses in Israel to pay their, their, their rewards. I mean, they, these... If you have friends who are like, oh, I feel bad for the Palestinians, they're not wrong. I mean, that's not wrong. But remember something else. The Palestinian people had an opportunity in 2005 to say, you know what? We don't want, we, we're not going to choose Hamas to represent us. We want to operate here on our own. And we want to build up our lives and we want to improve our economy. And we want to stop the never-ending war against our neighbor. They didn't do that. Instead, they, the people of that part of the world, cast their lot with an organization whose very doctrine is committed to denying Israel the right to even exist on the face of the earth. And that's who the Saudis support. And that's who the Iranians support. But basically, the way this is divided up is generally speaking, it's not all of any one thing, but generally speaking, the folks in Gaza are supported, they're, they're Sunni. They don't, they're not crazy about the Shia. Quite the opposite. In fact, they probably, if given the choice, as we've learned in, in Iran, sorry, in Iraq, 
if given the opportunity to, to, to live in peace with each other, they'd probably rather have the Israelis. <laughs> and then in the north is Hezbollah, which is the client state of the Iranians and to a slightly lesser extent, the Soviets, the Russians. And just like in 1973, it was the Russians who were on the other side. In 2023, I bet it is again. So when we come back, we'll do some calls on this. I did have a whole program planned. I had some stuff about an update on the Donald Trump civil trial, an update on the speaker's race, some comments about that. We have some immigration news this week that um, Joe Biden on the border wall and also returning people to Venezuela. So there's some other stuff to talk about, and I'm not averse to doing some of that. We have two hours. We can let this breathe a little bit, but I want to do a little bit more about this. We have a lot of calls on the board who are people who have connected to this. This is a difficult day in the world, and for our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael, they are in our prayers, and we're watching the news carefully. I'll try to carry you along. We'll watch the news, and then at 4 o'clock, Curtis will come in. If need be, we'll do a little more of this in that program. And as always, WABC, we aspire to be opinion, but also a news program and a news station. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you on the other side. WABC. Until four o'clock, we're talking a little bit about the war in Israel. We don't have, I mean, look, a lot of this is going to become a lot more clear in the days to come in terms of the fatalities, but there's still like there's hand to hand combat going on in southern Israel. This is almost unheard of. And one of the staples of life along the southern border of Israel is the constant buzz of, of drones overhead. And of course, we've all heard a lot about the Iron Dome defensive system that protects. Israel from rockets and how successful it's been and how helpful our countries have been to one another in developing these technologies. But a lot of the combat and a lot of the hostage taking the murder is going on in the south in relatively small 
towns that are in the southern border, they're in the, the, in the south near, nearest to the Gaza border. So we'll find out more, but there are, there are horrifying videos that are becoming clear of, of 10, 11 year old kids being taken hostage. Um, I saw a note from a friend of a friend about, about the children disappearing with their mom and the phone being tracked to a part of Gaza. Um, so there's going to be a lot more that we're going to learn. Now, there is this tendency, and well, I'll do it if you want, but there's this tendency to start finger pointing. You know, I heard people talking about the Iranian money. The Iranian money has nothing to do with this. I mean, I got some problems with the Iranian the Iranian money was South Korean money that went to Qatar or something like that. It had nothing to do with this. Now, does that mean that Iran is not troublemaking and Iran is not looking at the efforts of the United States to get the Saudis kind of to be better friends and neighbors and see that as a challenge and to wanted to disrupt that because they know that's going to be harder to do now? Maybe, for sure. Um, but I don't think... To be honest, you can point to any one particular thing like we frequently want to do. One of the things we love to do, particularly on opinion radio, is say, oh, that happened, therefore this happens. This is a generational, multi-generational battle of some people who simply don't believe in a right to a Jewish state. That's the simplest way to put it. So let's do a few more calls. There are other things going on, and if and you know maybe we'll do we'll do them in the second hour. Like I said, there's the Trump civil trial. Even though you don't really need to hear much more about the Trump civil trial, I gave you a complete update preview of it last week. The only thing that happened this week, which was interesting, is that Donald Trump basically confessed, and I have the video, the audio tape, and so we can listen to that maybe a little later. Joe Biden did some wall building that I think a lot of people were surprised by, but you. You all know that you've heard me say several times that I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat. I was like, fine, build some wall. If that helps people reach some kind of a compromise, let's go ahead and do it. And, um, so that happened. And obviously we don't have a speaker. You know, one of the ways to bring it back to the news of the day, no speaker means Congress can't act. If we wanted to send money out, if we wanted to do some emergency something, maybe they can do a resolution without a speaker. Probably. Because I don't think anyone would object. And so we'll have a speaker on Wednesday. And I think I have, uh, you know, I've, you've heard me make predictions. You know, come to think of it, I made a prediction about that at the end of the year that turns out that it's probably going to be right. So I've done pretty well preparing you for the news of the week. But let's get back to the conversation about Israel and the conflict in the Middle East. Let's take some calls on that subject. First, let's go to Alan Yonkers. Hey, Al. Welcome back. How are you doing, Congressman? Uh, first off, my thoughts and prayers with the people of Israel after this uh, tragic attack. Uh, 50 days to the uh, 1973 escalation. You know, I wanted to say, as a young guy who was always in, uh, interested in current events, I remember watching uh, Netanyahu on Nightline in the mid-80s, 86 or 87, with Ted Koppel. And I said to myself, at the time, he was UN ambassador to uh, the United States from Israel. And at the time, I said to myself, this guy one day is going to be the prime minister. And sure enough, that's come to pass. He's the longest-serving prime minister in Israel. Uh, And the thing is, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has some tough days ahead. Uh, He's always talked uh, hawkish uh, on Iran. 
and we have to see what uh, escalates. He's going to be dealing with a much more military-equipped Hezbollah, uh, who is equipped from Iran. Uh, tonight, uh, an adversary of his today, uh, who had the last large escalation uh, with Hezbollah in 2006, was Olmert, Prime Minister Olmert. And he said that uh, it's an illusion if Netanyahu doesn't think he has to go to the tables, at least with the moderate uh, leadership of the Palestinians. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, look, there's, it's not at all clear of Hezbollah, which is the other, the other terrorist organization that Israel has to deal with. What their posture is going to be here, obviously, that's very difficult. You know, Netanyahu, though, has not done himself any favors domestically by being such a divisive, choosing such a divisive path for governing Israel. I mean, they've had, I think, five elections in the last six years, I mean, because he, he's been unable to put together a, a stable coalition. But that's politics. You know, right now, there is no space between Israelis and one another on this, you know, some people have speculated that maybe it's, you know, the fact that there's been all this conflict in Israel over the reorganization of the judiciary that has really divided the country very badly, that it might make them less ready because there are some p- people in the reserve. Now, every, every Israeli uh, has to serve except for those who are the, except for the Orthodox, but every Israeli has to serve. And there are people who said, I'm not going to serve in the reserves. If these changes to the judiciary are made, but I think that one th- anyone who knows anything about Israel who's visited there at all, and I have many times, you know, that that they really do the politics does end at at the at the shore's edge. You know, the idea that everyone's going to pull together now. Now that does not mean that Netanyahu might not be in trouble politically, especially since it is it is seen by many there that he stacked his cabinet with basically political contracts rather than the best possible people because he had to keep this very, very, very fragile coalition together. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see, but that's for another day. Now the Israelis have to defend themselves. Next, let's go to Chris in Long Island. Hey, Chris, thank you for calling. Hey, Anthony. Um, You know, it's very confusing. I listen to WABC radio all the time. And I was listening to it this morning. I heard Monica Crowley and I heard Larry Kudlow. I was listening to everything. Then you come on, and and I genuinely like you. I think you're a good guy, you're a decent guy, but you just cannot help yourself. You can't. So you're like, you know, I'll take calls on whether it's Biden's fault or Trump's fault. Like, why would you throw Trump in this thing at all? Like, where remotely would it be Trump's fault? This this conflict. I don't understand that. All right. Well, I didn't. I didn't say it, but you want me to now. No, no, no! You said that you did. Go play the tape. No, no, I know, but I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't go into it. But if you want, do you want me to go into how it might, how, how Trump has contributed to this? I would. Yeah, by yeah. sucking up to the Saudis, and by sharing, and by sharing Israeli military secrets with Putin. I mean, I can keep going if you want. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it that when you support the Saudis, when you, when you take their money, when you prop them up and say that they're good guys. When you don't respond when they do acts of terrorism and chop up um, uh, U.S. residents, you embolden them to do whatever they want. And this is a this is a this is a Sunni organization, Hamas. This is these are not the Shias. These are not Iranian. These are not the Iranians, folks. And just back in April, the 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 Saudis met with Hamas 
And they, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you more help. I mean, I, I don't, just the same way the Saudis attack the United States of America. You cannot suck up to them. You cannot have golf tournaments at your place. You can't do it. There has to be something that is just beyond politics and money. So you wanted me to, you, you, you wondered how, you know, what, and, and I heard Monica Crowley this morning. I heard a, a, a cuddle this morning. They, they don't, they didn't, I mean, I, I love, they're, they're both fine people and, and, and they're, they, they, they share the airwaves here with me. They didn't know what they were talking about. They're so, they're so, I mean, I, I didn't know what they were talking about. I mean, anything possible to own the libs. No, this is, this is a time that, you know, we should not be, we should not be friends, allies, buddies with the Saudis. They rip us off at the gas pump. They export terrorism. Thirteen of the of the homicide bombers that attacked my city on two thousand in, in September September eleventh two thousand one were from were were from and paid for and supported by the Saudis. When Osama bin Laden moved out into the desert of Afghanistan. Where do you think he got his billion dollars from? That was Saudi blood money. They paid him to leave them alone to go attack anyone else that they wanted to. So you want to know why I say that both sides, you know, that this isn't, you know, you can't look at last week and say, oh, good, because something happened last week. I know. That's not the way this, this works. The reason our support for Israel has been so strong on a bipartisan basis is that we 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 know the truth, and if we want to use Israel as another way to beat each other up, I would urge against that. <laughs> I think it's a bad idea. I think the bipartisan support that Israel has is something worth protecting. But if you want to know what things we should not be doing, we should not be taking blood money from the Saudis. That's and we should not be 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 their buddies. We shouldn't be having golf tournaments at our clubs and acting like everything's normal with them. They're not. And this is not a partisan thing for me. I think Ronald Reagan was one of the best presidents that Israel ever had. Jimmy Carter was one of, was the worst. I think Donald Trump deserves a lot of credit for moving the embassy. Said so at the time. Say it now. Said it before. Abraham Accords, it's an open question. Let's see. It's an open question. Now's now's when it's being tested. With the Abraham Accords, with success, I hope that the UAE is the next press release I'm going to get out of my saying saying that, that attacking Israel, we don't support that. Well, let's see. I'll be back on the other side with some more calls. It's the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along on this rainy and somewhat sad Saturday afternoon. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC.
Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Welcome back to Middle Manthony Wiener, a rainy Saturday afternoon. Yes, we had a few beautiful days. We're talking about the war in Israel. Joe Biden is getting ready to address the nation. He has always been one of the uh, real strong supporters. Frankly, you know, Democrat and Republican alike. It used to be, so here's, here's a little inside stuff. So it used to be that there are mm, 10, 15 members of the House of Representatives who would vote against aid to Israel and things like that. And we, we would divide them up, those of us who are big supporters of Israel, and we would try to talk to them over a long period of time. And it might be surprising to you to learn that very often members of Congress who come, who are newly elected, who represent areas that probably couldn't raise a minion in their districts, come already very strong supporters of Israel, having known very little about the region. But then there are others who come who need to be kind of educated up on it. And we've done very well in that regard. And people sometimes focus on the opposition. Now, we do have a problem on the left with Israel. We do. It's a real problem. Same way there's a problem on the right with anti-Semitism. There is a problem on the left with Israel. Um, And so when we would divide up these members of Congress, we would try to understand a little bit about where they were coming from. Sometimes it was purely political, meaning they represented big Palestinian communities, like in Michigan, for example. Sometimes it was they just didn't understand. Like a lot of people, a lot of progressives have taken the story of David and Goliath and turned it on his head and believe that, that Israel is the Goliath and the Palestinians are the Davids because, well, they see, you know, teenagers wearing bandanas around their mouths. All right, that must be David. When it's Israel who's, who's the David here in the midst of all these Goliaths of, of the, of the Arab world. And then there were some who just were anti-Semites. I hate to say it. We had someone named Cynthia McKinney when I was in Congress and it just, you couldn't talk to her. Um, but by and large, the support bipartisan has always been very strong. And when we would do trips to Israel, there would be bipartisan trips all the time. So let's get some more calls about this. And then maybe at the top of the hour, we'll switch up a little bit. We'll see if Joe Biden says anything interesting that we need to cut in for. Let's go to Mark in Brooklyn. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, yes, uh, good conversation. Um, <clears throat> I was curious to find out if you knew anything about a group called the Council for the National Interest or CNI. 
I Have don't. you heard of them? Mm-mm, I haven't. Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, Council for the National Interest, uh, you can find them at CNI online. Uh, they were founded by two Republican uh, congressmen, uh, Congressman uh, Pete McCluskey from California, I believe, and Congressman Paul Finley from Illinois. Now, although they were founded by GOP congresspeople, it's a nonpartisan organization. And what they seek to do is to form a more neutral foreign policy in the Middle East that does not anti antagonize either side right uh because one one of the one of the things uh that makes the arab israeli uh conflict so intractable and difficult to solve so to speak is that ironically enough the two sides involved arabs and jews or more precisely israelis are basically the same people uh, they, they're, they're right the but here's ethnic- here's the problem and i appreciate it mark the, the problem with organizations like that and even language like that is that it confuses and frankly the first George Bush, the first President Bush had this problem. This is not a land dispute. This is not a territory. This is not a border issue. This is not, well, if you draw the line a little bit here or you, if you take back this amount of real estate and we go, you've got one side that is fundamentally does not believe the other side has a right to even exist on the globe. So people who say, well, let's just kind of be more neutral, neutral implies that this is some kind of a deal that can be done that is just this is not a bargain that was never the problem if you if it was israel would have done it do you think israel and this is a big misunderstanding that people have about that part of the world do you think israel wants to be the occupier in gaza oh my god it's nothing but trouble it's a desolate lousy spit of land that nobody wants or else as i said the the I've wet to see an Arab state stand up and say, hey, we'll take them. This is not about a border or a line. In 2005, that was that theory was tested after years and years of people saying, oh, if only these people weren't, quote unquote, occupied, then everything would be better. Just let them. So they were given 2005. They were given in Gaza self-governance. And what did they choose with that self-governance? They turned their back on the Palestinian Authority, and you can argue they would, they should have turned their back on them because they were so corrupt and and, incompetent. And they said, we want Hamas. We want this organization that today took children hostage and, 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 and was slaughtering people house by house. That's who the Palestinians supported. That's who the, the, the Arab friends of the Palestinians support. So when I hear about organizations, say, oh, let's just kind of be more centrist about it. Well, centrist implies that there are two equal sides, and, and, and this brings me to a seminal point about the world today. Not everything is both sides-ism. Oh, well, that person committed a crime, but what about that other person that committed a crime? Not everything is both sides. There's some things that are that you just, you know, Israel is not without its vices. But it's not saying that the Palestinians have no right to exist. If there was someone that the Israelis can give the key to who would say, all we ask is that you don't attack us. That's all we ask. They would do it in a minute. And if you think for a moment that if the fence or the belt or the border was a little bit different and that only of Israel only went back to the 1967 borders or they you know, gave this much real estate in this spot 
that everything would be fine. You're wrong. Not you're deluded. You're just wrong. And so when an organization springs up like the one that was alluded to by Mark, that says, and thank you, Mark, you always bring a lot to the table. You should automatically be a little bit like, well, wait a minute. We're not even, we, when choosing between a democracy that supports the United States and our interests and a terrorist state that is supported by, by a terror, by other terrorist states, we are not even handed. We're not looking to, to be even handed. Now, do, do we believe fundamentally as a country? That there has to be two states that live side by side, Palestinians on one, the Israelis. Yeah, we do. But right now, why hasn't that happened? Because the Palestinians can't even find someone to negotiate for that that wants that. Hamas doesn't want to negotiate for a two-state solution. Hezbollah doesn't want to negotiate for a two-state solution. Iran doesn't want to negotiate for a two-state solution. Saudi Arabia doesn't want to negotiate for a two-state solution. So to say, well, Israel, I mean, the United States, yeah, yeah, let's just go. That's why there's been no movement under Trump and no movement under Biden towards that goal. And there weren't that much under Obama, to be honest, either. Because no longer do the Palestinians even have someone that stands up and says, we speak for the Palestinians, let's sit down and talk. Nope. And in, in, and, and today, 2,500 rockets come out of that terrorist state. And today, six and seven year old girls are, 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 and boys are being taken hostage and paraded through the streets while people yell, Al Akbar. And today, you have our, our allies at war. It's not two sides to this bad boy. Let's go to Tom in the Bronx. Hey, Tom, thank you for calling us. Thank you. I'd like to say, Gaza. Uh, for the Palestinians was poorly put together. And I think that Gaza should have been run under the United Nations at the best of their uh, ability to run anything as a beneficial colony. Uh, In other words, they can calm people down. Uh, They could have calmed people down. You mean, you mean kind of, you mean mean kind of have, uh, kind of have the buffer zone between Syria and Israel is now with kind of the blue helmeted UN guys there. Yeah, but what I'm, yeah, but I mean, talking to run it like a colony to to help them build housing, to build uh, everything they need to calm them down. Uh, you have a lot of people that are uh, in very bad shape. Uh, this is what should be done. Yeah, this I mean, look, Tom, Tom, you you aren't that far off, and it's been U.S. tax dollars, international NGOs. That non-government organizations that have tried to do that to try to help build up Gaza. The problem is that the people there deserve and should have some level of self-governance. And right now, whenever they're given self-government governance, they choose terrorists, and that's the problem. That the people there, people say, "Oh well, if only the governments weren't involved and the people could just live out." Well, they had elections in Gaza, and they chose Hamas. And they threw out the Palestinian Authority, and Mahmoud Abbas hasn't been heard from since. I know we have this notion that why can't these people just get together and like work out a deal? Because there's one group that doesn't want the other group to exist. And we'll be right back. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. 
And welcome back to the middle. Uh, we're talking about the the war in Israel going on today. Uh, the president is just done speaking, giving our full our nation's full support to the people of Israel. That's going to include weapons, I guess, if they need it. I mean, their military is in pretty good shape. There are going to be some questions. The intelligence failures that obviously happened. I mean, there, there's going to be accountability. But like September 11th, first things first. First, we have some grieving that has to happen and and the war is still going on and you can you can i mean there's still shelling going on in both directions and what happens is how hamas operates is they operate gaza is very densely populated and the way hamas operates is they basically launch their rockets from residential areas because a lot of things are residential areas in gaza and so the Israelis can see the signature of these weapons leaving. They know where they came from, and they probably know how to strike back. But the question that Israel has to ask every single time with every single counteroffensive is, are there civilians? That, you know, How do we protect civilians? Even though we're defending ourselves, how do we protect civilians? And so what winds up happening is that Israel does its best, not always perfectly, to strike back in a way that minimizes civilian casualties but knocks out these armaments. But Hamas is smart. They understand that their market for ideas is Twitter and the news and everything else. And so if they can have an Israeli missile come and hit an apartment building, they consider that a victory because then they can go out and say, look at what Israel did. They hit an apartment building. But the difference is the Israelis do it despite their best efforts. And Hamas does it as part of their strategy. And that's an important distinction. Let's go to Bob in Connecticut. Hey, Bob, welcome back. Yeah, Anthony. I, I think part, I think you're right. It was Jimmy Carter that started all this. When they took our embassy in Tehran, we should have just wiped them out. And protect the embassy, and this it would have ended it for years. And, and I mean, you could have sent in the puff the magic dragons; it would have just wiped them out in the streets. We got we got to loan some of them to Israel right now. But Bob, you know, Bob, here's the thing: well, you're a smart guy. You you really believe that generations upon hundreds of years of conflict. Oh, if only we blew up one guy's building, that would end it all. You really believe that, Bob? Think about this. You don't fight a war to end the war. You fight a war to win. And you're saying, oh, we got to protect the civilians. Uh, well, what about Dresden? No, it, 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 Israel has a burden that no other country has ever had. And we ask of Israel things that we thank you, Bob, that we know, never ask of anyone else. We ask her to be to show restraint that no one else is asked to show. I agree with you. I mean, I agree with you. She does it. Israel does it because one is part of her values as a country. One is because when you're, you know, the Jew, you have to be above reproach. It's a it's a it's a lose lose scenario for Israel. The only winning scenario for Israel is they've got to defend themselves. That's 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 it. They've got to defend themselves, and we would never ask any other country to withhold defense like the like that the world sometimes asks of Israel. 
But this whole idea, why are we so simplistic? We're smart people on, on 77 WABC. We know that these things have a lot of wrinkles and nuance and layers to them. And there's a lot of stuff going on. We can't think that, oh, if you just do this one thing differently, everything would be better. Do you know the one thing that would be different? The one thing that would be different is if the Arab world said, you know what? We're, 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 we're done using these people as pawns. Let's sit down and eat. If you took all of the wealth in the Arab world and, I mean, and said, let's just sit down and negotiate. And by the way, you know, you can blame Jimmy Carter. Fine. Except the only peaceful neighbor now that Israel has is Egypt. And, 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 and Jimmy Carter was responsible for the Camp David Accords. And what is the lesson there to the Arab world? That if you make peace with Israel, you get support of the United States. You can live in peace yourself. You don't hear people talking like they did in 67 and 73 about the, about the Egyptians coming across. It's possible. And when we get back to the top of the hour, we'll do a little more. We have about an, we have an hour left, and then Curtis Lee comes in for left first. Right here, and I are going to talk about Curtis's favorite topic, Eric Adams. Hey, Curtis said, said to me two months ago, shouldn't Eric Adams go visit Latin America or go visit the border? And I said, I don't know. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. It doesn't make that much. Well, now he's doing it. Let's see if Curtis comes in and says, congratulations. I want to commend Eric Adams for visiting the problem. But our thoughts and our prayers are with our Brothers and sisters in Israel, it's supposed to be a happy holiday. Simchat, Simchat Torah, it, it is not. It is a day of tragedy that will go down in Israeli history the way 9-11 went down in our history. We continue to pray for them. We'll have some, a few more calls about that, and then we'll go to some of the other the issues of the day. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful you're along, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. It's the Mill with Anthony Weiner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. So welcome back to the middle hour number two. 
Anthony Weiner here with you on a rainy uh, rainy Saturday afternoon. We've been talking the first hour mostly about the tragic events going on in Israel. Israel is under attack by a terrorist organization calling itself Hamas with the full support of its citizens, I guess, full support of the citizens of Gaza and the full support of the Arab world that seems to be continually intent on Israel's demise. There was a lot of news this week. I had high hopes for this to be a show packed with news. We've got the speaker's race. Who could have possibly seen this coming? Well, me. I saw this coming. Not only did I see this coming, uh, I think I, I, I think I always predicted this perfectly. I said that Kevin McCarthy was not going to last. And I think somewhere we have a cut that's called Anthony was right where I predicted in December of 2022 who would be speaker. Let's see if we have it. All right, let's start with the Speaker of the House of Representatives. As I gaze into the future, into 2023, I see the Speaker will be the gentleman from Louisiana, Steve Scalise. Congratulations, America. You heard it from me first. Actually, I don't know if he's going to win. He's running against Jim Jordan. He makes some sense in that the McCarthy, you remember the people that supported McCarthy are far more numerous than people that didn't like him. I think that... uh, I don't know. We'll see. He's no great shakes either. I mean, I know the guy a little bit. Very nice guy. Uh, but we saw that coming. Donald Trump had a brutally difficult week. His guy, Kevin McCarthy, who he, he was his guy and then he wasn't his guy. Who knows? You can't, it's, it's tough to keep track, but, but he supported Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. His civil trial is continuing on uh, that he was accused of. Uh, just listen to last week's episode. I explained it all. He's accused of basically lying on paperwork to banks and insurance companies and all these other things. You're not allowed to do that. It's fraud and not it's. And we've already know that it's fraud. They asked for a summary judgment and they got a summary. Judgment. He's complaining he didn't have a jury trial. My friend, you asked for a bench trial. You didn't ask for a jury trial. That's why you have a bench trial. And I told you he was going to argue, well, no one got hurt. Well, that's not the way this works. It is against the law to commit fraud. And then he gets up. I have never, maybe I'm, many people in this listening audience are closer followers of Donald Trump than I am. But when his, he was giving remarks after the trial, after the, you know, outside the, the court in New York. And by the way, he didn't have to be there. He chose to be there. I have never seen him. So jacked, so so angry, and so because you know what this is about. We here in New York know the guy is a a business fraud. We know the guy is not a real estate guy. We know that he's he 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 inherited close to two hundred. He got two hundred million dollars from his daddy to get his business started. And basically, has no successful real estate anywhere in the world except for Forty Wall. I mean, he, and so we know that all of us here in New York all know that. So, and his whole thing is about how he successful he is. But the thing about this case is that he's accused of basically knowing values of things are different than he put down on paper. For example, he has a 10,000 square foot apartment. He put it down on his app on, on paperwork as 30,000 square feet. What he didn't know in Mar-a-Lago, it was assessed at $18 million. He argued, no, it's only worth 15 million. He put on paperwork saying it's 600 million or something like that. But I did not expect him to confess in one of these angry press conferences, and that's what he did. Take a listen to this. Mr. Trump, you got the judge to value Mar-a-Lago for 
$6 million. When the smallest house in Palm Beach is probably worth $50 million. And this is the biggest, the best anywhere in the country. There's nothing like it. So they put it down at $18 million, and they said, I, I overvalued it because we had it valued at a much lower number than it's worth. And by the way, my financial documents are valued much less than my actual value, which nobody even knows. But the financial documents that I gave to the bank are much less than my actual net worth. That's the, that's the so crime. I gave them to the bank. They can't be abroad because I gave them lower numbers. I'm probably one of the only people ever to Anyway, that's it. So that's it. You know where he says, well, I put it much lower than they're actually worth. That's the crime. <laughs> that's the crime. You can't put something down at something different than it's actually valued at. That's the crime. Now, why would he put it down as lower? Because he wants to pay lower taxes. Why would you put sometimes it higher? Because you want to get better rates on a loan by saying your asset is worth more. Both of those things are the same illegal act. He admitted it. He, he said, I, I put down much less than actually. By the way, you know what I'm curious about? The assessor at Palm Beach County assessed this, the Mar-a-Lago at $18 million and he's saying it's worth $600 million? I guess he owes he owes the assessor of Palm Beach County some taxes. Am I wrong? Do I have this wrong? He owes because if it's actually six hundred million dollars and it's not eighteen million dollars, then you pay taxes on six hundred million dollars. So he says in this press conference and this statement, I actually put it down much lower than it's actually uh, really now. <laughs> Did you? Anyway, he's such a fraud. Literally, in this case, he's literally a fraud. Um, and by the way, one other thing. It's $15 million for the cheapest house. Mar-a-Lago cannot be built as a residence. That's one of the things that depresses its value. It can only be a club. So when he says, oh, it's cheaper than the cheapest house. Yeah, a house of that size would be enormous. It'd be amazing. You're restricted. Um, um, you're restricted from, from using it as a house, which is one of the ways he argued in his assessments that he should only be taxed for $15 million. Now he says it's, it's over a billion or whatever he says. Anyway, so he's had a brutal, a, a brutal week. And then there's my boy, Joe, uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden changed his mind about fences, about border walls. Maybe. I was kind of hoping that it was more dramatic than it was. So it basically is 2019. Remember that the government shut down when the president wanted to build border wall and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi said, we don't want to do that. And they worked out a deal. So they did put some money towards, um, towards fixing up some of the existing border stuff that we have. It's not like there's no walls down there and no fences. And they, so they put some money there. And so this was some of that money that the Biden administration had to spend for this purpose because Congress allocated it for that. But still, I hope that maybe now the, that Biden has done that, maybe Republicans can sit down and say, all right, Biden did that. Let's do, let's sit down and talk about working out a problem to this asylum law so we can fix that a little bit. Maybe put a little more money on having hearing officers down at the border so that we don't have to wait for four years. That type of a thing. Just some ideas. 
So all of this happened this week. I mean, there's been a, a there's been a a lot of news. And the interesting thing, getting back to the Trump piece for for one second, is that um, among so there's some there was some late news. The judge had ordered that um, the two sides, the attorney general and the Trump, come back from them because they needed to get some names for someone to be a receiver. And what is a receiver? A receiver is someone who mines the Trump properties, keeps an eye on them, maintains them, but prevents Trump from doing anything that might like in case he wants to start selling them off or something like that. And the other thing that the receiver would do would to make sure that there's still assets left to pay off any disgorgement that might be necessary. Like if, if he has forced to pay, if they say, that, all right, your fraud has meant that you've gotten $200 million of money that you shouldn't have gotten. The receiver has to, this has to kind of make sure that that money is protected. By the way, he has very little left Trump. He's a brand. He was been a branding company for a long time. They don't really build stuff. So 40 walls, a profitable entity in, in New York city, but the rest of it is not anymore. I mean, no one, I mean, that's, being honest with it, with, no one wants to put their name on, his name on anyone's building right now, because about half the world would be like, I don't want to live there. And no one's paying him to be on TV anymore. And, uh, and truth social is a, is, is, is a dying asset. And his airline company's gone bust. His wine company's gone bust. His casinos have gone bust. Trump University's gone bust and had to pay fines for that. So he doesn't have a lot of assets left. Which is why he came to New York for that hearing because he needs to fundraise off it. Because he doesn't have that much money left. But, but 40 wall is a profitable piece of real estate. So he asked to, they, they, the judge said, I, I need you all to decide who should be a receiver for this property. And the Trump went in, and went to the appeals court and said, stop that process. And the appeals court did. The appeals court said, you don't have to go through with that process yet until we have a decision on this or at least to wait until we have um, a decision on how much Trump is going to have be found liable for here. So um, it's been it's a, a very, a very rough. And, you, know, the, you know, Trump was I've never seen him so ballistic as he was this week. I mean, I can't believe I, I mean, I played that cut. I can't believe he actually said <laughs> he just I said, you know, I actually have been I valued them much less than they're actually worth. Whoa. Can't do that either, pal. You have to assess them, whatever the assessments are. You know the the other crazy thing that hasn't really been reported very much. People like are like, how did the judge decide? How did the judge decide that Mar-a-Lago was worth X? And how does he know more than Donald Trump? And marketplaces are very squishy, and 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 real estate is very subjective. Blah 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 blah. Do you know how the judge? One of the pieces of it, of evidence that was introduced in the trial. When the judge ruled that fraud had been committed, is there were um, assessments that were made, valuations that were made by companies of these Donald Trump properties. You know who paid for them? Donald Trump. So they would come back and say, I have some specific examples from the trial transcript, but they would come back and say asset A is worth um, is worth. um Actually, the appraisals here, I found it. The appraisals for 40 Wall Street came back and said it's worth $20 million. 
And on financial um, statement that he listed for banks, he said they're worth $525 million and later $735 million. Actually, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, $200 million was the valuation. He said $525 when he filled out the paperwork, and later he raised it to $735. So he pays for the appraisals. And so when people say, well, the judge, the judge, the judge, the judge did not. This was Trump v. Trump. This was his own evaluations that he then took and then lied on these forms. And then the other thing is, like, I've said this, I said this last week, I'll say it to you again. I keep hearing people on the radio get this wrong. There was no victim here. There's no victim here. There's no victim here. He got additional money because of fraud. When you say you, you're borrowing against assets of say $500 million and you get an interest rate of 5% on the money as opposed to when you don't have a lot of assets so it's greater risk and you pay an interest rate of 10%. He benefited by hundreds of millions of dollars by these lies. And the attorney general of the state of New York, it is that person's job to enforce these laws. And the law specifically says you don't need to have a specific, a specific, um, victim. You just can't commit fraud. So he's going to lose this case. He already has been found guilty of fraud. The only question is how much money he has to disgorge. Back to you, the taxpayer. So like I said, this is the one, you know, of all the cases, I mean, sure, he's going to be found guilty of the documents case. That's the easiest one to prove. Oh, you know what else he did? What else we found out about Donald Trump this week? He shared nuclear secrets about our nuclear submarines with the Australians. Apparently with a Australian cardboard magnate. Serious, man. This has been a rough week for our favorite former president. And and still, in the polls recently, the head-to-head polls with him and, and uh, Joe Biden, actually Trump has been on a little bit of a run here. RFK Jr., as I said last week, he's running as an independent. It's going to be hard for him to make the ballot, but that's another issue. Cornell West says he's not going to run as green. He's going to run as an independent. And in the head-to-head polls, Biden still can't get out of his own way, even even with all the problems that Trump has been having. I mean, it is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. Um. And one other thing I have to do, and I guess we'll do this later on in the show. There was a caller last week, Rick. He got something right, and I got it kind of wrong. And so we're going to do corrections of the week a little later in the program. Let's go to some calls. First, let's go to uh, Lou in Queens. Hey, Lou, go ahead. Hey, uh, Anthony, uh, I want to bring up something to you. The third largest contributor to the Palestinians is Saudi Arabia at about $100 You know who the first two are? The United States of America, over the years, about $400 million a year. The EU, $140 million a year. Then comes the UK, $95 million. Sweden, Sweden, $80 million. Germany, $55 million. And the UN, $43 million. 
So if you wonder where Hamas gets its weapons from, I would suggest follow the money because I think some of it's being diverted from hospitals and schools and being paid for for weapons. They yeah, get but but we're not sending. Yeah, but we're not we're not sending the money. We're sending NGOs that go in there. Look, it's the call we had earlier from someone who said, you know. Why don't we just help? Someone said, why don't we have the U.N. go and take care of these people and everything else? Look, I, I don't – it was always this big fight, Lou, and you, you're not you, you're not wrong. There's always this big fight. It's a fight that's just too strong a word. Conversation we would have in Congress. That was always – it was the Israelis who would say, we need you, the international community, to help support the people in the in the territories. Israel was always the one that said they wanted the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations – that are trying to help the Palestinians get on their feet to improve their country, to improve their roads and bridges, to improve their banking system. The Israelis were always the one to say, please keep this money going to the Palestinians because our only hope, meaning the Israelis, is that they finally realize that living kind of better lives without turning to Hamas is the way to go. And also it helps to kind of build, as they would argue, build some trust that the international community really does want to help with this problem. I don't know. I feel for the Palestinian people, but it's not like we're sending a bag of 20s to Mahmoud Abbas and then he slips some of the money to Hamas to buy guns. It doesn't really work that way. It's trying to help non-governmental organizations, aid organizations to try to help these poor people in the Palestinian territories who, who are just trying to live. The problem is this. The problem is, and thank you, Lou, the problem is whenever the Palestinians themselves are asked who should represent you? Who do you want to like basically when democracy breaks out in the Palestinian territories and they get a chance to choose their leaders? They always choose terrorists. They choose Hamas. The Palestinian Authority can't get out of their own way. So you ask why there is aid that continues to flow into into the Palestinian territories. A lot of it is because Israel has said we think that that's good for us. It's good for peace it's good for stability and the like. They don't want you don't want a bunch of hungry people. <laughs> I mean, that's not good for anybody. And we'll be right back on the other side with some more calls. It's the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Great to have you along. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Saturday afternoon. So great to have you along on the middle. Coming up at four o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in. We're going to talk a little more about the migrant crisis. Seems like a ongoing thing. He wants to talk a little bit about Israel as well. Lots going on. 
So I know what you think. You listen to The Middle every week. You have come to believe what I have long believed in, that I am always right. But in fact, last week, a regular caller, Rick, called in, and he knew he was going to get called. I was going to put him on the air because he, he told Christian, I want to tell Wiener that he's a liar and a fraud. I can't forget the two adjectives he used. And he... Uh, I said, what did I lie about? A couple of things he said um, that I had wrong that I didn't. And then he said something that I had wrong that I immediately corrected him on. Let's listen to that. Warming is a good thing. Global cooling is a bad thing. And the planet isn't warming. Hasn't been warming since 2016. Temperatures have been falling since 2016. So there is what no was the hottest year on record? All right, I'm not going to cut you off, but what was the hottest year on record in history? 2016. 2022. Okay. Rick. Mm, okay, let me just say it. I think Rick was kind of right, and I was a little bit right. So, first of all, 10 of the hottest years on record going back hundreds of, if not thousands, I don't know how long, how far they go back. You know, one of the ways they measure temperatures, they now know, based on how much carbon is found in the thawing ice, they can tell. It's got a little bit like rings on a tree. January through September of this year were the hottest of that period in history, of this year, January, not 22. I said 22 when I talked back to Rick. Rick is right that 2016 was the hottest full year we've had on record. Now, he is wrong about the idea that it's getting cooler. The last seven years rank as seven of the hottest years in history. 2016, well, 2023 is now going to be number one. That's going to pass 2016. 2020 is number two, 19 and 15 and 17. So we're, we're, we're hot. We're hot. I mean, I mean, literally, we're, as a country, as a world, we're hot. But Rick said 2016. I corrected him. He was technically right since this year isn't over yet. We can't say that this year it's going to be. We can say that this year is a hotter year. And so, Rick, I apologize. Let's go back to the to the calls. Let's go to uh, Robert in Suffolk. Hey, Robert, thank you for calling us. And hi, hi, Anthony. Um, I'm glad you admitted you weren't exactly right. Now, about Trump, you are wrong in the documents case. Trump was entrapped. The government... Unlike all the other presidents before him, did not provide a secure storage facility with armed guards like federal marshals. What? Him he had documents right. he wasn't supposed to have, and he was asked to give them back. Why didn't he give them back? That's because he had no proper storage facility to put them in that the government we're supposed to provide him. Robert, how come he didn't give president? Robert, he didn't give them back when he was asked. He moved them and asked them to delete videotape showing him moved it. Why didn't you just give them back? That's how they entrapped him. No, no. Why didn't Trump? Never mind what the government did. Why didn't Trump just give it back? He said he has, was entitled to him under the presidential records. Act. He's not. That's 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 a legal contention that can be made. No, wait, hold on a second. Robert, Robert, you had something you wasn't supposed to have. Even if he thinks, I swear to God, I'm supposed to have it. When the government asks you and says, give it back, you don't hide them 
ask someone to delete the videotape and then show them to people that don't have security clearance. You don't do that. And someone who does that goes to prison for that. He's negotiating. There's no negotiating. You don't, what do you mean to negotiate? You know, when the FBI calls and says, give it back, well, what, what, give it back, you don't, there's nothing to negotiate with. By the way, can I have a question for you, Robert? Why did he want them? I believe some of the documents were evidence against Hillary Trump, Anthony Blinken, and others in the Democrat administrations. So he wanted them for why? Do, so you think he wanted them as leverage? As evidence. As evidence in what? For what purpose? For future criminal prosecution. He doesn't do. He's not a prosecutor. Well, neither was Rudy at the time. No, no, we, but Rudy did. All right, Robert, Robert, let me, you know, Robert, I, I, I appreciate your calling. I really do. But just to refresh everyone's memory about the document case. The president took documents home he wasn't allowed to have. He was told, please give them back. He said, okay, here they are. And then he took some aside and he didn't return them. The government realized he hadn't been returned. They said, please, Mr. Former President, give us back our document. He said, I don't have them. He told other people, like his lawyers and his staff, to say he didn't have them when he knew that he did. Then they went to court and said, we got, you, you've got to give them back. We have a subpoena here. So he then moved the documents to another place, told his staff to erase the videotape, and then is heard on the videotape. Ava, do we have the tape of, of President Trump showing off the documents and mentioning Anthony Weiner's name? One of my favorite, my, my favorite audio tapes. He says, I'm not supposed to be showing you this. I used to be able to declassify it. Now I can't. And he's showing off war plans to people who are not, have no clearance. I mean, that's, he's, that one's, he's dead to rights on that. He has yet to, and by the way, no one ever calls up. I thought we were, the reason I took that last call is no one ever calls up and says, oh, that's okay. He didn't do it. It's all like some kind of weird, and he was going to use it for future prosecute. No, you just can't, you can't make up rules on your own. (laughs) He did, he, he did what he's accused of doing. Next, let's go to our friend Richard in Texas. Hey, Richard, welcome back. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank Glad you. Glad to speak to you. My I was pleasure. in San Antonio last week, and I wanted to call in on another subject, but now with all this happening, it's horrible, obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, I just want to uh, know, I know you were putting uh, Chris in uh, in uh, Beth Page. Uh, I actually know him. He's a great guy. And uh, you put Trump down and said he didn't do anything uh, to Saudi Arabia, and believe me, I'm no friend of Saudi Arabia, uh, with the Khashoggi thing. Uh, so I'm just curious. Uh, uh, Biden's been uh, president now for two and a half years. He put the prince down when he was uh, running, and then he's been high-fiving him and shaking his hand. Can you be specific right now what the Biden administration has done, or to be honest with you, in all fairness, any president in this country to Saudi Arabia? I am, rich and I am with you 100%. I think every president – here's – you want to know the coin of the realm with, with the Saudis? Presidential museums. Here's what they do. They have made it clear, going back six presidents, including Bill Clinton, including George W. Bush, that they're going to be super, super good to you when you leave office. So you should be nice to them when you're in office. The singular thing that Joe Biden has done to try to undermine the Saudis has not been enough, in my view, but has tried to undermine the Saudis, 
has been to try to move us away from fossil fuels that fund the kingdom. But if you're saying should he have gone there the way he did and been so chummy with him, I don't think so. Now, in fairness, people say to me all the time, oh, Anthony, you've got to negotiate with your enemies. You don't have to negotiate with your friends. We need the Saudis to help us with A, B, and C. Can someone show me when the Saudis have ever done anything to help the United States with our challenges, whether it be help us get to the bottom of 9-11? Nope. Help us deal with lower gas prices when we're dealing with the war? Nope. Help us anytime. Help us get to the, you know, whatever it is with, with Khashoggi, never. So it's not just Biden. But when people talk about Joe Biden, you've got to include, there, there has been no American president that has been as chummy with the Saudis as Donald Trump. And to have the Saudis go do golf tournaments at a former president's club on, on 9-11 is outrageous to have this president's son-in-law get billions of dollars to invest in his fund we knows nothing about it about any of this stuff the saudis are just clearly trying to influence the the the, the a future trump regime but if if you want me to say that no one's hands are clean than dealing with the saudis richard i agree am i still on you are Okay, uh, consumer protection statute. Uh, Alina Hubba said that's what this was filed under with the attorney general. Now, I'm not saying she's telling the truth. I'm not even saying she. I'm just giving you the reason there was no jury trial. The attorney general filed it under that, and apparently, because you're big in the law, that that law does not give you a jury trial. Now, it doesn't it give you. It doesn't. I think. That, I don't he, know. Here, let me let, let me let me let me give you that one. I don't believe it gives you a right to one, but you can ask for one, and they didn't. They checked a, They checked the box that said bench trial. Don't know. She said they never got a chance. That's all. I'm only she's, saying what she she's, said. She's, she's, she's incompetent. She's shown it in this trial. They had an opportunity to ask for a bench for a jury trial, and they did not do it. That's all I'm saying. I don't know what the truth is. I, I just, just told to Richard. It. I just you call me for the truth. You just got it. I just told you what happened. What happened is they had an opportunity to. Um, to ask for a jury trial, and they did not do it. They checked the box that said bench trial. I'm like the Chaba, whatever her name is. She's a ter- these these lawyers are terrible. Even they have gotten in so much hot water going back. They're arguing. You've got to realize something here. When you represent Donald Trump, you are not necessarily a good lawyer. You're someone that says stuff that he wants you to say. So the judge said a couple of times during this trial which is about the disgorgement of the ill-gotten money that they got because they committed fraud. She said a a couple of times, the lawyers here were fined for continuing to make these arguments like they're calling into ABC radio. That they keep doing things like, like she, she a couple of times made the argument, but there's no victim here. The law specifically says in the state of New York that that's not, that's not an argument. Lawyers can't just go say stuff like they're holding press conferences. And we'll be back for a little more of the middle. It's great to have you along. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can always reach me on WienerWABC at Gmail, at Rap Wiener on Twitter. This is The Middle, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. Rap. 
It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner, it's great to have you along. I'm here till 4 o'clock, then Curtis Lee comes in and joins me for Left versus Right. And if you miss any part of this program, it'll be available as a podcast. Immediately after on the Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere you get your podcast, we, on Wednesday, do a podcast called The Middle Unplugged, kind of a little update from the middle of the week. This week, I talk about the speaker's race a little bit, what went down, why it went down. Um, episode 50 this week, you're supposed to... Gold. I guess he had gold for doing it. So I got to ask Menendez whether he listened. See what I did there? It's called a callback. We call that in the business. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're still looking at the news with some horror and dismay about what's going on in Israel. We spent the first hour, a little bit more than that, talking about that. And our uh, attention is going to be there for a lot of the day and probably for the weeks to come because this is not only not only are there – this is a tactic to place 3,000-some-odd rockets, but hostages have been taken. And also a lot of ramifications for the government of Israel about how this was allowed to happen, who's to blame, and what they do next. They have some real questions they have to answer for themselves. Let's go back to the more domestic issues of the day. Let's go to David in Staten Island. Hey, David, thank you for calling. Hey, you know thing about 1940s and Howard Hughes? He was treated like Trump because he won... We had the Howard Hughes industry build out the military, and we also happened to build up the space research. Trump took what his father had, kept on reinvesting. What did the Democrats do? Raise up taxes so they could fill their pockets and hell with the public. We are heading for very bad times, worse than what you could ever believe. I am a Republican, and I'm very proud of it. That's good to hear, David. And it sounds like have, have you – you you've been here in the United States. You grew up here. You've seen some tough times. You think this is worse than then? This is no. This is worse than then. No, it's going to be. You have immigrants coming in that will not assimilate, may not speak the language, bring in the drugs, and a lot of shootings going on and other forms of killing. I don't call that a democracy. There's a phrase that comes out of the Bible. I think it is, "Without law, there is no sin." I ate it on, but there is anarchy. Yeah, I feel you. You people are destroying the system. You may win. Who, the Chinese have a hypersonic aircraft potential. They could drop a bomb before it hits the ground. They could circumvent the globe. Who me, David? Uh, you, you said you guys. Who me? I'm. 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 You think I'm doing something wrong? 
You are backing up by falsifying information. Trump is legal for the documents. Biden was not as vice president. But, but Trump, Trump, that Trump that uh, that Obama has, has he given it in? No, but but Trump, but Trump wasn't the president when he did these things. President, you are falsifying information and it's getting a lot of people angry. Oh, I'm sorry, David. If you can't tell the truth, get off the station. Oh, I'm sorry, David. Are you are you going to be okay? Do you do you need a hug? Are you going to be okay? I hope I die sooner than I'm be 80 this year. Oh, God bless you. Listen, um, all all kidding aside, God bless you. You sound like you got a lot of wind in your sails. Keep calling us back. It's people like you that uh, that make this station go around. I appreciate your calling. Let's go to uh, uh, let's go to Joanne in Westchester. Hey, Joanne, welcome back. Sorry to keep you holding. Oh, that's okay. Over an hour, but it's okay. Very interesting stuff going on. Anthony, I wanted to ask you one, really one question, but that was way back then, an hour ago. And I wanted to ask you that. It's about Israel. I was very upset waking up that, to that this morning, uh, very early. I posted it on my Facebook page. All my friends came on. Okay, that nobody knew because it would have happened in the middle of the night, I guess, right? In any event, let me, let me just get over that for a minute. But I want to say about Trump, though, listen, you know what? They're just... Um, let's see, uh, stonewalling the guy. I don't, listen, um, I know you don't like him. You never will. You never did. You never. Okay. But you know what? The truth right now is we don't care really and truly. And, and, and how dare Hillary? She came out with some awful stuff. Yesterday. You don't care what here. Finish, really, Joanne, finish the thought. You don't care what. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that I don't care what they want to say. We're, uh, we're cult people following Trump and all that. No. Okay. You know what it is for the most part, everybody I know, I'm going to say by and large following him because right now we want, it's not because, oh, we love him and we're, we're cult. Forget that. That's garbage. What Hillary comes out with. She should be smacked for that. But um, to say that, and the fact of the matter is that we right now look at the, the mess that we are in. The country's going down and that, that's a fact. I don't care what the right or the left says. They're crazy. Um, at least, at least with Trump, Donald Trump, you know, like Mark Levin put it, I just want to quote him for one second, where he says, and he doesn't even love Trump like a lot of the Trump supporters do. He doesn't, in fact, support him. But he does say um, that he's good and he's what we need right now and that, um, you know, he wouldn't even vote for him. But the fact of the matter is, is he perfect? No, he's not perfect. But who was perfect? I know, but Joanne, but Joanne, I, I, I get it. And I was waiting for you to get to, like, what it is that the – that I mean, look, the the thing that is about – Trump is that you guys have other Republicans you can turn to who are not who don't have 91 um, who who don't have indictments hanging over their head for 91 or 41 crimes. However many I've lost track of it, who is not committed fraud, who who hasn't tried to sow to sow I- insurrection, who doesn't say anti-Semitic things every two hours, who like you got other guys. I think the, the point is that that there is no way that many people who support Donald Trump would support any other candidate who had the same record of doing things. I mean, the guy that, you know, there was a report out this week that he was sharing secrets about our nuclear submarines to some guy, some some billionaire from Australia who then shared it with other people. You're sharing our secrets. What you I, I mean, if, do we really care about this country? You, you know. We had I, I I talked about this on the show and I appreciate you calling Joe and call us call us again. Sorry to keep you waiting so long today. You know we had a, a, a naval I think it was a naval officer in Kansas this year who was who was found guilty under the same statute of mishandling classified information that Donald Trump was and she's going to prison for it. 
And so that, because we have laws against that. And yet, and yet, and I think I, I didn't hear what Hillary Clinton had to say, but I think her point was that, that there's something wrong when you have people who say, oh, I support this guy. I don't care what crimes he commits. Really? You don't think the president of the United States should not commit crimes? I don't know. I think that's, that's what the, um, what the reference was. Let's, uh, I don't, I know I've left a, a few people on hold here for a little while. Let's go to Jerry and Edison. Hey, Jerry. Hi, how are you doing? Um, so last week I actually spoke to you about this. Now, before you say anything to me, though, will you allow me to speak back after you tell me what your opinion is on? I'd like to this time have a chance to rebut what you say. I, I got cut off last time. Hopefully we can get past that. So I'm the guy that told you last week that these charges, all of the charges against Trump are prosecutorial misconduct. And I told oh, you they yeah. should be dismissed for that reason. I remember. And I said it like this. Well, you don't you, 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 you need to repeat. You, you heard my position, and I cut you off last week before you can respond. So why don't you respond to the critique that, therefore, anyone who's a candidate for president is immune from prosecution? I'm going to respond to that exactly. Okay, good, glad you remember me. All right. I do. So you had said your example, though, was not really uh, – accurate example. Your facts were, your fact pattern you used as a hypothetical was, well, then I could get away with anything. You were saying yourself. I could just say I'm running for president. And Correct. I, could get away I used Hunter Biden right? as an example. Right. But now I'm saying to you is the difference here is that before Trump was charged, he was already running for president. So he's not trying to game any system. No, but and he announced way back, he was the first person to announce in the entire Republican field for this purpose. So the people like Jerry could have that argument. But who cares when you announce? Are you making the argument, Jerry, right here, that once you announce a president, you can commit any crime and get away with it? No, I'm making the argument that equal protection, he's not being treated like anyone else has ever been treated. Oh, really? I just I gave see. the example of a woman in Kansas, a military official who went to prison for the exact same crime of, of mishandling uh, documents that he is. But she is not equivalent to Trump. Trump's on the line with Obama and Clinton. No, and other not the way that works. You either have to decide, Jerry, that he gets treated like every other person in the United States or not. And I use the example, and thank you for calling, Jerry. I used the specific example last week of how, I think you might remember this phrase, the higher the monkey climbs, the more you can see his ass. If you want to run for office and you want to go out and say that I'm a big fancy businessman and you want to say I'm going to release my taxes and then not do it and you're going to write books and call it the art of the deal and you wonder why reporters poke around and find out that you're a complete fraud and then the attorney general reads about it. Yes, it is probably true that because he ran for president, now we know a lot about Donald Trump. And one of the things we know is that he committed fraud in his business dealings. But you can't you don't get the point that Jerry made was that, well, you're immune as prosecutor abuse in order to charge someone when they're running for office. Therefore, anyone who runs for office can commit any crime. I disagree. And we'll see you on the other side. Is the middle with Anthony Weiner, seventy-seven WABC. You get a fast car, 
And welcome back to the middle. Coming up at four o'clock, courtesy what comes in for left versus right. Talk a little bit about Eric Adams four way south four way south of the border. I'm sure Curtis will be happy because he he actually said this. I want to say like a month ago. He said, "How come, Curtis, uh, how come Eric Adams doesn't visit the border?" Well, no, he's down below the border. All right, here's his moment. His moment in the sun. Eric the correct, Rick the correct. We're going to call you. Hey, Rick, welcome back. Hey, Anthony, thanks for taking my call and thanks for that uh, correction that you made. I really appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. So, 2023 is going to be the hottest year in recorded history. How do you feel about that? Well, it's not really true, and this is the reason why. Recorded history is what they're saying is like the last hundred years, maybe. And we have actually the data for 600 million years. So their version of history only goes back 100, 150 years. But, Rick, what if they're right and you're wrong? Well, I studied climate science for eight years, so I pretty much know the subject. Right, but what if, and, and I know, so you know consensus is we have global climate change, it's getting warmer, and it's dangerous. What if they're right and you're wrong? What if? Well, they're not They're not right, and I'll tell you why. If you're familiar with the little ice age. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. Why? Before we go into that, could you just do my question just for a moment? What if they are right, the consensus of the world climatology community is right, and Rick, call, regular caller to the middle, is wrong? What if? Okay, only 3.8% maybe of all atmospheric CO2 comes from man. The rest comes from nature. So if CO2 was driving up the temperatures, which it's not, how is cutting our carbon emissions going to do anything when almost 97% comes from the oceans dying so by? So here's, here's, here's kind of the way I unpack this, Rick, and you're a climatologist. I'm not. Thank you so much for calling. And, and just to reiterate for anyone who tuned in last week and tuned in late, Rick said 2016 was the warmest year on record. I said, no, it was last year. We're going to split the difference. 2023 is going to turn out to be. But Rick's basic point is, oh, it's wrong. It's not so bad. The climate experts are wrong and Rick is right. And the way I unpack this is if we can do something now just in case they're right, that we're boiling the country, uh, boiling the world, and we're imperiling our children and the country and the world that they're going to inherit, Maybe we should do it. Let's, let's let's play it safe. We're not going to be here. They are. Let's do everything that we can just in case the, the, the consensus of scientists is correct, that we're slowly making our Earth uninhabitable. Just in case they're correct, let's do everything we can to improve our condition. And let's not let's and that might mean some sacrifice. It might mean some things we have to change. It might be some things we have to do differently. I mean, that's my, my, my position is that, like, let's try to be conservative, which means to conserve. And one of the things we should conserve is our earth. And Rick is sure he's right. Ah, no big deal. Or we can't do enough about it. Or, whoa, well, I once make that kind of sacrifice. Or leave me alone. Or you Democrats are all the same. Maybe. But just in case all of those experts, all of those scientists are right, and all of these storms that we're having and all of the, 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 the migration we have because of climate change, just in case, maybe we should try to do something. These are our kids and our grandkids who are going to inherit this, not us. We're going to be dead. 
Maybe we should do the right thing by them. And I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of The Middle. This has been a, a heavy show. We, we spent over an hour at the beginning talking about the existential threat that Israel continues to live under, surrounded by its enemies. We pray for them. Am Yisrael Chai. And to all of you who have friends, loved ones who are there, I hope you stay in touch with them and all of us figure out ways that we can be supportive of them. And coming up at 4 o'clock, another episode of Left vs. Right. Me and Curtis Slewa will be talking about the issues of the day. Curtis, who is really building the scaffolding of a citywide movement of his efforts to stop the migrants from coming here to New York City. And I am building the scaffolding of my argument of common sense, moderation, the middle. That's what we have here going on. It's great to have you along. So grateful for all your support. We'll see you next week. If you missed any part of it, tune in to the podcast. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, I felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before us, and your arms felt nice strapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC News starts This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.